from the HBP Studios. You're listening to the 70th episode of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP. I'm Dorian, and today we have a special guest, Sean Anderson from the CHGO White Sox Podcast. But first, we go to pitchers tryouts with the Baltimore Orioles, talk with Sean Anderson about the Chicago White Sox, and we go on a space odyssey with the Houston Astros. As always, I start the podcast by having a delicious drink. And today, I'm having a beer called Resurrection. It's an Abbey-style brown ale from a good local American brewery called The Brewer's Art in Baltimore, Maryland. And because we support good American jobs, we raise our glasses of beer and encourage you to buy from your local brewery, your local distillery, your local winery your local food joint. It doesn't matter. And because this beer is from Baltimore, Maryland, I want to talk about the Baltimore Orioles. I just had a drink. People, the Orioles need pitching help ASAP. The Orioles starting pitching is getting pounded every single day, and the season's only a week old. On the 13th of April, their left-handed pitcher, John Means, pitched four innings against the Milwaukee Brewers, And he left the game with a strained left forearm. Not good. That is not good. But the Orioles put him through tests and say, means is okay. And he's going to be on, he is on the injured list uh, as, as day to day. Because the Orioles have no starting pitching. And therefore they are taxing and straining that bullpen every single night. Those guys have to come in and pitch and cover four and five innings. You're going to burn your bullpen out by May if this continues. So if you, my friend, you have a live arm, you think you can still you know, hit 90 and you're in the Baltimore area, I say go try out for the Orioles pitching staff because believe me, they need you. It also doesn't help that the Orioles sent or traded away to two other relief pitchers, Tanner Scott and Cole Solcer, to the Miami Marlins before the season. They are short on arms. It's, it's crazy. But interestingly, the Orioles did sign the Dark Knight to a minor league contract. Some of you may know him as the former New York Mets pitcher, Matt Harvey. Others know Harvey as the guy who's dated all the supermodels, Adriana Lima, Polish supermodels, Russian supermodels, you name it, he's dated them. (laughs) Will the Orioles signing of the Dark Knight actually help them? Probably not. It's a minor league deal. Things are looking good, people. The Orioles have started the season with one win in six games. It's it's going to be a long season in Camden Yards. And this coming weekend, the Orioles are hosting the Yankees. So it's not going to go well at all for the Orioles pitching when they stay on brand of only pitching three or four innings a game. But don't worry, Orioles fans. Star minor league prospect pitcher, Grayson Rodriguez, the number one ranked minor league pitcher in the entire baseball. He's going to join the Baltimore Orioles later this summer. In in Grayson Rodriguez's first two AAA starts, he's pitched a total of nine innings. He's only given up four hits, two earned runs, one walk, and brace yourself, 15 strikeouts. I'm on the Grayson Rodriguez bandwagon now for about a year. Everyone's ever since he's been in double A. So he's coming Baltimore. He's not Superman. 
He's at the Dark Knight, thankfully. And as I take another drink, I'm going to tell you where you can find all the supermodels on our social media accounts. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040. And our Instagram account is Hipster Baseball Podcast. And you know who else you should follow? Our next guest. All right. So today we have Sean Anderson from CHGO Podcast. Welcome, Sean. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Dorian. Appreciate the invite and uh, glad to talk to you today. Happy to talk to you about all things baseball, all things Chicago. Tell us where tell us where people can find you. Yeah, I'm the uh, host of the CHGO White Sox podcast. You can find us on Twitter at CHGO underscore White Sox. That's me, Herb Lawrence, and Vinny Duber. Vinny's a beat writer for the CHGO uh, White Sox beat. So we got a beat writer on staff. Herb's a longtime radio producer. So he's kind of the community leader. A lot of people know Herb in Chicago. And I'm the uh, youngster. That's kind of the uh, idea of CHGO is to put someone, you know, an established beat writer, uh, an established media member, and then an up-and-comer. So uh, I guess I'm the up-and-comer of the CHGO White Sox podcast. So uh, that, that, that's been nice to be a part of so far for a month. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Yeah, and I do want to add, you guys – produce the podcast every single day and it's like for like an hour so i'm like I, here i am with my little pot my little choo-choo podcast coming out once a week and you guys are every single day so that's and you guys you guys have really good chemistry it's just so easy it's it seems like it's three friends that are just talking it's just happen to always talk about baseball yeah, man. I mean, I know, I've known Herb for about three years. We worked together at 670 The Score, uh, the radio station that he was there for you know 20 plus years. I was there for about three. So I've always been talking to Herb about the White Sox. Like I, was, I wasn't huge into baseball when I was starting at The Score, but we really needed to focus on Chicago sports. We played the hits. So it was focusing on the Bears, focusing on the Bulls, and focusing on both baseball teams. So getting back into the score and uh, getting into the score and getting back into sports, you know, really rekindled my love for baseball. And thankfully I had Herb Lawrence, a great White Sox fan that I was working with. So I always got to pick his brain. And then he started doing lockdown socks with uh, another coworker, Chris Tannehill. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it's really like, I've been talking baseball with Herb, like my whole life. Uh, we really gelled together and Vinny is probably the easiest, most uh, easygoing person I've ever met in my life. So yeah, chemistry's great. And five days a week it's a lot but we got a lot of great producers and a lot of great help here at hgo so it's been lucky and it's a lot of fun to do every day i mean we get to talk about white Sox baseball it doesn't feel like a job most of the time don't worry i'm not going to tell the score that you weren't the biggest baseball fan we'll keep that just between you and me because you cover the white Sox all the I, time I, was. I mean like i always loved baseball that's a disclaimer that's the legal oh, disclaimer yeah, yeah. i'm teasing uh, you Oh, you're all good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I was, I always loved baseball, but there was this time I was like in eighth grade and standing on second base during fall ball and it's rainy. It's cold. Exactly. Like what the White Sox game was like yesterday, weather wise, where it's rainy, it's cold. And I'm standing on second base. And I'm like, man, this is the worst. Like I I'm, I'm cold. I'm freezing. I'm bored. Like, you know, what does this game mean in the grand scheme of things? So I was really questioning life itself while playing baseball. So uh, yeah, it knocked me out a, a little bit uh, of my love, but I, mean, I think we all have this, you know, a love affair with baseball where, you know, we really get into it, and especially Definitely. when the White Sox are good, uh, I'll be into it. But that, that that stretch from about 2012 to 2017 was was pretty rough for the Sox. Well, loyalty has paid off. And so obviously you cover the White Sox, and the obvious thing to talk about with you today is English football. My question to you, is Manchester City going to finally win the Champions League this year? This is an important question. I have no idea. I'm I'm not a joking. big uh, English soccer fan. I'm joking. <laughs> is that obviously the one the Ricketts are buying? Uh, no, the, the the Ricketts family, the owners of the Chicago Cubs, they're looking, they're putting in a bid to buy Chelsea Football Club, which is based out of L London. That's uh, the one that Roman Abrahimovic, one of the 
what the, the Russian oligarchs owns or will soon formally own. But anyways, <laughs> I'm teasing you. We're not going to talk about the Champions League and Manchester okay. City. But what we are going to do is make consultants weak at the knees. We're going to do a SWOT analysis on the Chicago White Sox. What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? What are the opportunities in the American League Central? And what are the threats? Again, we're really not going to do that. But I want to talk about the Chicago White Sox are one of the best teams in the American League. And they have World Series aspirations. And they've gone out to a really, really, really good start. Four and one. I think they're four and one, right? Or they just five and one. But they just come out to a really good yeah, start. Might be four. Might be four and two after uh, after we're done. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think they're going to sweep the Mariners. But yeah. My question is: I think this is a question from a, a holdover question from last year. Is because the American League Central is is weak. It's not as weak as I think it was last year. But how does that prepare them for the playoffs? And I know here we are in April talking about the playoffs. But the react, let's, if we're being honest, the Chicago White Sox are the team of that American League Central Division. Well, uh, let's be honest. If they don't make the playoffs, the heads will roll here in Chicago. I mean, you've gone to two straight postseasons uh, for the first time in franchise history. And this is now that when you're supposed to be improving, this is when you're supposed to be getting past the first round. So if they're not even getting past the first round, not even getting into the playoffs, definitely heads will roll here. So I do think that's a great question. Uh, how does the AL Central prepare the White Sox for playoff baseball? Because there's... Definitely a question in my mind that, you know, it's it's not getting them prepared. Uh, we saw last year that the Astros just handed it to the White Sox uh, in the first round. And Lucas Giolito, after that postseason game, uh, a postseason series, he talked about how they weren't prepared enough. And I think that that might have been just because of the talent level that they were facing. They handled all of those American League Central teams. They had a positive run differential against every single team, a winning record against every single team except the Royals. They were 9-10 and 10 against the Royals, but I think still scored seven more runs against the Royals in those games. So I, they really didn't have that much of a challenge last year. And while Detroit got a little bit better, the Sox should have gone 3-0 uh, in, in that first series. They should have won that Friday game, but Liam Hendricks, their you know $50 million closer, blows the, the save. So I don't think that the Sox really have that much of a test in the AL Central. And last year we saw them struggle against teams above 500. I think they were about 24 and 27 against yeah. teams above 500. And the Astros took it to them last year. So I don't think this is enough of a challenge, even though the AL Central has gotten better. So it is going to be big and important to watch what they do against 500 teams. Right now they're doing well against Seattle. They got Tampa coming in this weekend. So if they're able to handle them and you know win five of six, I'll feel pretty good about the White Sox in April. Yeah, that that Tampa team is always surprised. Tampa Bay Rays always surprise everyone, and I, I'm I'm actually a Tampa supporter. I've been to a lot of their games, and I'm not. I love how they do their player development, but I don't like the fact that their owner doesn't spend any money. But that's a completely different topic. But you're right. If they if they handle if they're able to maybe not handle, but at least come out at 500 against the Mariners, who are supposed to be a trendy pick for the American League West. You know, maybe a dark horse as well as obviously the Tampa Bay Rays play in that monstrosity that is the American League East division, I think it'll it'll bode well for, for, for the Chicago White Sox, even if it's only April. But again, the games count the same in September, in May and June. But you know what I want to share with you is I don't know if they'll be able to give them a test this year, but I'm really surprised by the Detroit Tigers and what I've seen for them because the I heard about all these rookies coming up, uh, Spencer Torkelson, their center fielder, Akil Badu. Uh, they still have veterans, obviously. The, the ancient one, Miguel Cabrera. They have, I really like their pitching. And I know the Tigers, I know the White Sox opened their season against the Tigers. And they had that that wacky play with A.J. Pollock in, in right field. But yeah. <laughs> it was, um, 
I'm really impressed by them. And I'm not saying they're going to take down the White Sox, but I saw I saw also a game against Boston. I'm like, these dudes, they're going to be a problem for the Chicago White Sox. What I still speaking yeah. of agent. Go on. Oh, yeah, you're all good. Uh, yeah, it was uh, very the Tigers though. You know, very similar to like what I thought of the 2015 Cubs and the 2020 White Sox. Basically, uh, like really, they're getting there a year before they're supposed to, and and signing Javi Baez like that. That's a catalyst right there. So as long as that pitching picks up and they're able to handle the rest of the AL Central, you know, I could see them finishing in second place uh, this year in the AL Central. They really do have a young team, and those young players, if they're producing, they're not going to care about what their splits were, uh, you know, early on because they're saying, well, now I'm, I'm used to the league and they have all this confidence. So I, I do think it's possible that, you know, if they start getting hot, they might not stop being hot and they might just roll to 85 plus wins this year. Speaking of AJ Pollock, I want to talk about some of these injuries that the White Sox have had to go through. It 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 doesn't even it, there's like no point in listing all of everyone all the White Sox who have been on who are currently on the IL because that's <laughs> in itself is a heck of a team. How do you see Tony La Russa, the manager, and the veterans like obviously Tim Anderson, uh, Jose Abreu, trying to guide this team through all of these? It, it's almost ridiculous the amount of injuries that the White Sox have had to go through this year, including last year. Yeah, honestly, last year was worse. So we'll take uh, what this year has given us so far, even though that means two of our starting pitchers going down and Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn. And we really only have three good starting pitchers. So two of our three starting pitchers have gone down yet. But, uh, you know, Lucas isn't as serious. And it hears, uh, apparently Lance Lynn is a little bit ahead of schedule on his return. So, you know, that's that's two positives there. Where you look at last year, they didn't start the year with Aloy Jimenez, and they had to put Andrew Vaughn, who was a rookie, into that lineup. Same with Gavin Sheets later on in the year. Uh, so they didn't have... You know, really proven guys in really important spots in left field at DH last year. And then after April, Luis Robert goes down and doesn't come back until August. So, you know, you lost two of your best four hitters right there early on in the season. And the Sox, you know, they were able to handle it. You know, you saw great production from Billy Hamilton and Brian Goodwin. They really got great production out of Andrew Vaughn until he got hurt in August. And Gavin Sheets had a, an OPS, I think, over 900 uh, and hit 11 home runs for the Sox last year. So, I do think that comparing last year to this year, the Sox are in a better spot, um, even though Aloy just, you know, hurt his foot, hitting a foul ball off of his foot, and Josh Harrison's already got back stiffness. Yep. Like, the IL injuries, the big one is Lance Lynn, but we knew that was going to be an injury heading into opening day, just like Aloy Jimenez last year. And the White Sox were able to make up for that with Andrew Vaughn. They just need to be able to make up with that. And maybe that's Johnny Cueto. Maybe that's Vince Velasquez. Maybe that's Reynaldo Lopez. But it is just one spot that needs to be filled until, you know, May at this point. So it's not the worst. It's been worse before. So, uh, so far, Tony did a great job handling injuries last year. And uh, this year hasn't been too different. It's only been five games. So hasn't been too much of, of a difficulty yet for the Sox, but we'll see if, you know, one more week without Lucas Giolito and if the rotation isn't going, you know, four innings for the Sox, then Tony might have, uh, you know, more on his plate here. Do you think that management and ownership are going to be willing to potentially shell out some money, some trades to bring some, to bring a pitcher in? Because I did see that the White Sox called up um, a Tanner, Tanner Banks, Tanner Brocks, Tanner Banks. Mm -hmm. Is he? I don't know if he was a, a, a reliever or a starter, but again, this is a this is a guy's a you know is a rookie, and there's only so much you can ask of a rookie on a on a team that has championship aspirations. Yeah, Banks is 30. So Banks was a 2014 yeah 2014 senior sign, and he's been in the minor leagues since, and he's worked his way up 
uh, finally got the call up and he, he's like a reliever slash long relief guy. Uh, he could start for the Sox, but they had a, an opening today with Lucas Giolito going to the injured list. They called up Jimmy Lambert. Uh, it looks like Banks will stick in the bullpen right now. And, you know, there's a lot of proven, un, unproven arms right now in that bullpen, even though the White Sox have spent like 25% of their payroll on their uh, their bullpen. Joe Kelly, who they signed for uh, $7 million this year, uh, he's still on the injured list. We haven't seen him yet. Uh, but, you know, Jose Ruiz is pretty unproven. Uh, Matt Foster is pretty unproven. Anderson Severino is pretty unproven. Tanner Banks is pretty unproven. So outside of Liam Hendricks, Kendall Graveman, and Aaron Bummer, uh, this White Sox bullpen is a little a little shaky here. So, you know, they, they need good production from guys like Tanner Banks. And so Pull me in, coach. Pull me in. No. My advice, right. <laughs> don't trade with the L.A. Dodgers. Everyone that you traded for the L.A. Dodgers, A.J. Pollock traded injured. And they, you gave up Craig Kimbrell, which – He's a pretty good relief pitcher. He would have been, he's valuable right now, especially with the struggles, the early struggles that Liam Hendricks is having. And then you have Joe Kelly. Wait, was he, was he traded or did, was he a free agent signing? But Joe Kelly used to be to obviously with the LA Dodgers. So yeah, he was a free, yeah, it was a free agent signing. So in a way it was kind of Craig Kimbrell for Joe Kelly and uh, AJ Pollock. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think most Sox fans are honestly fine with the AJ Pollock deal. I, I, I definitely know, you know, Andrew Freeman knows what he's doing, uh, but he didn't need that many outfielders and the White Sox didn't need this many bullpen arms. So I do think it was, Fair in that sense because you're, you're really helping out both teams' weaknesses and you're helping out, you're, you're strengthening uh, you know other teams' weaknesses. Uh, so I really don't think that Rakan is going to regret that A.J. Pollock one. And thankfully, it, it was just like a hamstring tweak right. uh, for Pollock. And also, he was planned to go on the paternity list. So I think it was kind of good timing, if anything, uh, because you know he hurts the hamstring. All right, go rest up for 10 days and go be with your, uh, your newborn. So uh, it was... It definitely was like, oh boy, here we go again when AJ Pollock comes up and uh, holding up his hamstring. But, you know, uh, April 20th will be here soon enough. It's only six days away. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about AJ Pollock. And I didn't love Craig Kimbrough on this team. Uh, so it, it's pretty tough to, uh, I don't know what's happening. I hear White Sox people screaming outside. Sorry. Um, with. Pollock, I do think that there's a fantastic signing. The fact that he can hit right-handers and righty, uh, the fact that he can hit left-handers, and you see the progression of him as a career hitter. He was a really great athlete and hitter at uh, back in 2016 when he was an all-star, but the progression that he's come, become more disciplined, uh, really started to hit more barrels, too. Like It just feels like he is aging very, very well. So as long as he's staying healthy, I do like that, that Dodger trade for the Sox. I don't know what the Dodgers do with their 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 batting coach, their batting philosophy. That every single time that those guys up, they're looking at five, <laughs> six balls, five, six, seven pitches. It's it's incredible their discipline. And I don't know if they if the Dodgers make them all have LASIK surgery. I don't know, but I as as a Braves fan, we see the Dodgers <laughs> in the playoffs basically every single year, and those guys are absolute monsters. And there's just no—I don't want to say an easy out because that's easy to say about a very stacked lineup, but they're just—they work so hard up there, and yeah, so that, that's only going to help uh, AJ AJ Pollock. AJ Pollock is only going to help, especially some of the youngsters like Luis Robert, who has who had a small history of, you know, just swinging at anything, but he's gotten a little bit better and having someone like that on the team. Right. I can, you can only dream on what kind of player Luis Robert can become. Well, and that's a very interesting point because so far through the season, the Sox have done a great job of not striking out. They have the lowest strikeout rate right now in the major leagues and they have the lowest walk rate. 
And they're not only going up and being aggressive, but they're making sure that that ball and that bat meet each other. They're not swinging and missing. They're making sure that everything is in the zone and they're taking advantage of it. And that's something that is great to see because you mentioned Luis Robert. Like that was the big thing keeping him from being an MVP type caliber was, you know, he was striking out 28% of the time. He was swinging and missing at every slider low and away. Like that was a really, really bad habit for him. But so far, I think he just struck out for his first time today. So, I mean, that's, that's six games he's striking out just for the first time that's big for the chicago white Sox. so and i think it was on a fastball too so it's just like you know great location great pitch uh it really doesn't feel like you know this guy has a weakness right now and if the white Sox have that type of player along with tim anderson along with jose abreu along with yasmany grandal and if loy jimenez can also take another jump i mean you've got six you know great hitters and, and six possible top hitters at their position right there it's it's really really phenomenal what the white Sox have been doing uh and i think pollock just strengthens that as well absolutely effective just making sure you're getting quality at bats you're getting quality contact and you're making sure that you know you're really dictating the the the, the at bat and not the pitcher and that's what you know so far the white Sox have been doing i truly I, like i said i'm a brave fan but i really 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 like this white Sox fan this white Sox fans this white Sox team since about like what two three years ago or since uh tim Anderson was a little bit younger and I want to segue into the, the maestro, the man that runs everything, Tony LaRusso, the manager. And he was handed this Ferrari coming out of retirement. And, uh, and I've said it on this podcast. It's like, I've never, not, I don't want to say never, but I, I was not a big fan of, of him being handed the, the, the Chicago White Sox. Last year, there were issues when uh, the, the rookie catcher, first baseman DH, whatever you want to call him, he had Miguel Mercedes. He was on that like month-long, crazy hot hitting streak. The city of Chicago, some restaurant named a burger after him. He hit a grand slam in some White Sox blowout game. Tony LaRusso was like, oh, it was good that the other team threw at him. And and then I don't know if you remember, but in July of last year, the White Sox played the then Cleveland Indians. And there was some a bunch of the White Sox players got beamed. And then Tony LaRusso came out and he was trying to fight Carl. Uh, what is it? Robert Roberto. One of we yeah, had one of the catchers of the Indians. I'm like, that man is the is your son of your grandson. Like, what when you don't like some, I don't want to say you like someone. We do professionally like someone going somewhere. Everything they do is wrong. But again, you cover the White Sox day in and day out. How are you seeing both Tony Russo adapting to the to this exciting White Sox team? And how are they adapting to him? I think that the one important thing about Tony is that he is a Hall of Famer. And I think the one thing that he immediately recognized was this clubhouse did not need any work. This clubhouse was in a fantastic spot. These guys loved each other. They already had two leaders in Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu, and there was no reason for Tony LaRusso to mess that up. And there were times that, you know, you mentioned it, like uh, the, the May incident with Mercedes, but I really do think, you know, my whole view on managers is that they don't matter. And as long as the clubhouse is good, that's what's, you know, really all that matters. So uh, the fact that I predicted the White Sox to go 93 and 69 last year, they go 93 and 69 kind of shows like, you know, it, it really didn't matter. And Tim Anderson yeah. called Tony LaRusso recently his best friend and Tony or Tim and uh, Rick Renteria had a fantastic relationship when Rick was the manager. And it feels like Tony was able to at least 
step up to the plate and be able to own up to possible past mistakes and be able to communicate with his players. And it feels like everything's vibing right now with this White Sox team. It doesn't feel like this is going to be another issue, right? If, if someone's up there swinging 3-0, uh, I, I, I would be surprised and I wouldn't be surprised to hear Tony Voice's opinion. Uh, that's the one thing I did learn is that Tony is opinionated. Tony will give his opinion. Tony has his thoughts on baseball since he's been around the game for 76 years. I think is doing a fine job. I don't think that managers really matter at the end of the day. And Tony proved that last year. I mean, there was a couple of times where I was ready to, you know, really get on him for it. Uh, there was one time and uh, there the Sox were playing the Yankees and uh, on Friday, the Friday game, it's ninth inning. You have Liam Hendricks and he leaves in a pitcher. I think he walks the bases loaded. He brings in Hendricks. Hendricks blows the save. Uh, and then he does the same thing on su Sunday, you know, uh, leaves Aaron Bummer in, he leaves the bases loaded. Aaron Judge comes up, oh, let's bring in Liam Hendricks. And then five pitches later, Aaron Judge is walking to first and that's a walk-off walk. So, you know, there were some times where I'm like, does Tony even know what he's doing? But that was more managerial issues. The actual clubhouse, the actual uh, cohesion in that clubhouse didn't really change. And uh, that, that, you know, Tony deserves a lot of credit for that. Tony didn't rock the boat at all going into Chicago, which the way that you alluded to it, being handpicked by the owner to be the manager of the team will definitely rub a lot of people the wrong way. But I think Tony really just put his head down, went to work, and people kind of forgot about that. And the people that loved him stayed loving him, and the people that hated him, well, they just you just got to be used to him because he's not right. going anywhere. You know, his best friend's the owner. <laughs> that is that's what's called job security. The only thing yes. better than that is for yes. your spouse to own wherever you're working. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, there was one question too. You went back and you talked about, you know, will the White Sox add in free agency or trade? And I really, I, th I think they're done. Um, maybe there's some minor moves that, that that can be made. I think they'll make more deals when it comes to the trade deadline. But I think they got like one in them. Uh, they're not giving up Andrew Vaughn. They might give up Gavin Sheets, but that's really all they have. I mean, they have the worst farm system in baseball right now. Yeah. And I don't think they're going to go out and spend. There's not really people to spend on. So I really don't think that this is going to be a team that's tinkered with too much outside of some minor moves come the trade deadline. But are they going to add another bat to this team unless someone gets injured? Are they going to add another starter? Depends on how Michael Kopech looks, and it depends how, on how Vince Velasquez looks, and it depends on how Dallas Keuchel looks. If Michael Kopech can give them five innings and he's looking healthy, they might roll with him. And if Dallas Keuchel looked like he did yesterday, five innings, and he had like, he had like five strikeouts and no walks, the White Sox will take that. So, I mean, it, it might be the same team on opening day just with Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly uh, added to it. I mean, that really might be the the team, you know, 26 guys instead of 28, and you, you sub in Lynn and uh, Kelly, and that's your 2022 Chicago White Sox. I'm a big uh, Michael Kopech fan. I, I, the, the pitcher, he has all the glitter, glittering tools, and I think I, I think he's going to be the, the the stud, the number one for the White Sox, maybe as soon as next year, maybe. Let's see. The, the issue with him is he's, he's got two pitches. So, I mean, it really works when you're coming out of the bullpen and you have that fastball slider that play off well off of, off of each other, but uh, he needs a curveball or he needs a changeup. And you know, if he's able to develop that, then the White Sox, I think you're right, White Sox have, a, have an ace. But uh, Dylan Cease has four pitches, and, you know, he's he's struck out 200 guys last year. I think that might be the uh, the safer pick for the future White Sox ace. But if they both hit, the White Ooh. Sox are set for the next decade. And we know that pitchers <laughs> usually take a lot longer to come into their – strengths it's kind of like boys and girls girls mature a lot faster kind of like a, with a bat and the pitchers are boys that we take a lot longer to mature yeah dylan Cease, what is he like 26 27 yeah. he's 
he's just about okay. become getting into his into his prime as well as Michael Kopech. He's even younger. I think he's 25 or something. So keep an eye on him. My one point of a, my one point to watch out for you guys is don't get your hopes up too high on Dallas Keuchel. He was he signed a one year contract with the Braves back in 2019. Mm-hmm. He was good. Dallas Keuchel was the type of pitcher that that young Atlanta Braves team needed. But if if he's your number one, your number two starter in the playoffs, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Oh yeah. Oh, if he's the number one or number two starter, the White Sox have a lot of trouble. And I'd honestly be surprised that they made it to the postseason with Dallas Keuchel <laughs> being their one or two. Uh, I, I mean, he's he's their fifth option right now, and yeah. he didn't make the postseason roster for the White Sox last year after that 2019 that. year with the Braves. Yep. Uh, they they made him a big offer, uh, sixty million for four years, and the first year was pretty good. Uh, the twenty twenty year, uh, he was getting a lot of ground outs. He was good for those like nine games that he played in. But last year, yeah, it was real. Uh, started off okay, but apparently he had some back issues. And you know, today or yesterday, he, he the back issues seemed to be cleared up. The control was still there, uh, and he he had a really nasty changeup. So if he's able to keep guys off balance and in weak contact, then you know maybe that's a really fifth starter for the Sox and you know they're really looking for one so if he can emerge uh I know that he's been shaky and I didn't really love him coming into the season but yeah uh, I really did like what I saw yesterday so fingers crossed that that can be what he looks like this entire year absolutely and also fingers crossed on the only person more important than Tony La Russa, which is the Chicago White Sox positions so hopefully before everyone comes back they can do a team sitting a team viewing of and try to get inspired by Bruce Willis's character in that in that uh, in that 2000 movie Unbreakable, so that the White Sox stay healthy <laughs> the entire year. Because right now they are the other they are Samuel L. Jackson's character in Unbreakable, the ones who get broken bones and everything all the time. That's uh, what is it? M Night Shama M Night Shama Lion. Shut that that gentleman. Yeah. So the White Sox need some good juju. They need to watch that movie and breathe in the excellence of Bruce Willis in Unbreakable. <laughs> But uh, before indestructible, like exactly, even if it's just for one season, that way they can just storm through the playoffs to go to the World Series. But before we let you go, and I want to thank you for your time, I want to ask you just two questions on obviously, like you had mentioned earlier, you've been uh, with all these different organizations and now uh, covering the Chicago White Sox on a daily basis, which sounds like an amazing job for any like young listeners, whether they're youngsters, whether they just out of college, what kind of advice would you give them on? breaking into the sports broadcasting industry. I would just say don't quit. I mean, that was one of the biggest things I, I, and I, in a way I did quit like my story. I started, I went to St. Xavier university in 2015. I went there for three years and I worked at the student media there. So I think that's the first piece of advice that I give to everybody. Uh, If you're going to advance education, get involved in student media. If you want to do this or, or at least start early, I, also in college in 2015, I was a part of this uh, podcasting group called Most Available Podcasts. I was always working on doing this, right? I was always trying to put myself in a position to do this for the future. So, I mean, that's that, that was the one thing that I was always trying to envision is, you know, what's my next step? Uh, how do I get to that next step? And just trying to plan that out. I did have goals too. Um, I, I graduated college in 2018 and I wanted to get a job uh, in a promotion staff for a radio station. I ended up getting one like about three months after college and, you know, I just tried to work up there. And once I felt, you know, fairly comfortable that I could survive outside of college, uh, I then made a more aggressive move to just make a lateral move from promotions department. I went from working, uh, you know, like 
top 100 radio station promotions to go into sports radio. Still worked my ass off there from January to April. And in April, I got lucky. The radio station I was working with had a producer spot open and applied and just made sure that, you know, all that stuff that I was doing from 2015 to 2018 was there. And, you know, I showed, you know, what I've been doing, the the path that I've been on. And uh, ever since I got that job, it was just hard work. So I, I think as long as you're putting yourself in a position to do this, things can come. Not only do you have to be lucky because I was, I'm extremely lucky to be in the position that I am. Like you said, like not a lot of people get their jobs to be talking about their favorite baseball team. Uh, but uh, it, 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 I think a lot of it is just, you know, making sure you're, you're in that position. And that's not even advanced education. Like, I mean, exactly what you're doing right now, Dorian, like this is passion. You're doing this out of passion. You're doing this out of the love that you have for baseball. And, uh, and like, you know, it's, 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 it's about making that connection. And if you're able to make that connection with one person, hopefully you're able to transfer that connection to, you know, another person, another person, another person, and then it just compounds after, you know, years and years and years and years of working. So a lot of it is just putting yourself in that position. So if you have a passion and you're, 16 or 17 or whatever and you think oh i could do a podcast on this topic do it what's holding you back because you know you're not going to make money even if you have a professional job out of college like you know if you're, if you're doing something that you want to do out of a love for a hobby or a passion you're not going to make money for it on money off of it right away uh so you got to put some of that work in and you know if you do really love it it should come fairly easy to you and as long as you're putting yourself out there you know i, I do feel that things will come if you're putting yourself out there Definitely. Thank you for that uh, advice to everyone that wants to get into uh, this awesome thing of just talking about sports. And my last question to you is, I love Chicago. It's one of my favorite cities. I was there just before the pandemic, uh, what, two, three years ago. It's an incredible food city. It's an incredible drink city. You're, you're a native. Like, share with us, where do we need to go get a great meal that you love? Where do we need to go have a great drink if, when, when we're in the city? Yeah, I'm not a huge drinker, so you know I don't know if I can give drink recommendations out, but I do know that it's probably you know if you're walking into a bar, if you're walking to an establishment, you're probably going to get a decent drink. Uh, so I mean that's that's what I've heard. Uh, but my favorite place to go to is this place, Milano's. I I really love Chicago pizza, and we're not only just a deep dish place; we got tavern style as well. And uh, that's my go-to. I, I go pepperoni and onion on a, on a tavern-style pizza from Milano's. And it's, it's one of those places where it's like a box, right? Like there's, it's just takeout. There's no seats. You will not find a seat in Milano's. All you do is just walk up, walk in, pay, and leave. Uh, and it, it's my favorite spot in, in Chicago just because it is really, you know, a neighborhood place. It's a family place. Uh, and it's really damn good. Uh, so I, I would say that. But, like, if you're coming to Chicago for the first time, you should try Portillo's. It's everywhere. Um, and that's probably your best shot to taste something that is reminiscent of Chicago. Even though it is, you know, big corporate chain, uh, they, just, they still do a decent job. They're not national yet, so it hasn't gotten too bad. Uh, <laughs> but uh, once they go national, they'll be a, a little rough. But so far, if you're looking for something easier or a little uh, easier to find, I'd say uh, go to Portillo's. Oh, well, we definitely have to give a shout-out to Milano. What you like when you were um, here? Oh, my God. You know, the first thing we were talking about was there's a, this is an, there's, I love ice cream, and there's a, an amazing gelato place called Amorino, I believe. It's, like, by the Gold Coast. They have, like, three or four of them in the city. The okay. gelato is amazing. I don't, I don't know that one yet. Food-wise, there was the steakhouse yeah, that we I've went never, to. I've never heard of that one. Uh, I'll have to I'll have to look it up and uh, send it to you. But there, uh, food wise, there was just an amazing. There's amazing steakhouse also in the Gold Coast. I'm looking at it and I totally forgot what it's name. But anyways, this is an amazing state. There's just amazing food everywhere in Chicago. 
And again, I, I love There's another steakhouse. Uh, like my bougie one would be GT Prime. That's probably the best steakhouse in Chicago. GT Prime. Okay. Yes, I did. Yeah. So now we know how the White Sox are going to battle through the American League Central all the way to the World Series. Now we know how to get, for the youngsters out there, how to get to sports broadcasting. We have some good places from Gelato. For pizza, I'm a huge pizza fan. It's like, you ask me, let's go get pizza. I'm always out for pizza. And a places for steakhouses. So with that, Sean Anderson, I want to thank you for coming on to HVP and talking to us about all the wonderful things that we did. And I want to, I want, I want you to take us away it, again, say goodbye to everyone. Tell us again, where we can find you. Yeah. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for reaching out. I know we tried to do this back in March, so uh, I apologize for, uh, for, for that mishap, but I'm glad we could do this in April. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. And I'm the uh, host of the CHGO white Sox podcast. Uh, you can follow us uh, at CHGO underscore white Sox. We're five days a week, usually Sunday through Thursday. So if you're looking for some white Sox coverage after a game is final, we got an hour long uh, post game for you. So, uh, that's that's where you can find me and Dorian. I really appreciate this, and you know I love you following your passion. I appreciate you talking to me and uh, welcoming me on the uh, Hipster Baseball Podcast. We also need to thank the people that make this podcast possible. Our sponsors, today's show sponsor, Alexander's. I buy at Alexander's. You may browse through Bloomingdale's, meander through Macy's, tiptoe through Tiffany's, but I. Buy at Alexander's. Find us on Fordham Road in the Bronx. Cheers to Alexander and cheers to our last segment of this podcast, Styling and Profiling with Ric Flair. Fashion and sports. I'm talking to you about the Houston Astros Nike City Connect uniforms. You know what? Maybe you can find them at Alexander's department store. I don't know. You got to check it out. On the 14th of April, the Astros were at the Arizona Diamondbacks in the 10th inning. They were up. Houston was up two to one. And in the bottom of the 10th inning, Astro shortstop Jose Altuve couldn't get to a ball. And so the, the baseball scooted under his glove and the Diamonds scored a run to tie the game. A few batters later, the Diamonds loaded the bases and infielder Keto uh, Marte hit a pop up, a routine pop up to the to the left field. And that's where the Astros left fielder Chase McCormick was. And the ball ends up bouncing off of, uh, off of the side of McCormick's glove. Diamond, Diamondback score a run. They win the game. Game over. I don't think anyone wanted to sit next to McCormick on the team bus to the airport after that. But it's not because of what McCormick's was wearing. Because the Nike City Connect jerseys are back. Now it's the Houston Astros' turn. Do we like them? To change things up, I'm going to tell you I like the Houston Astros Nike City Connect jersey. The Astros are going to wear their new Nike City Connect Space City, is what it's called, uniform for the first time on the 20th of April, which is on a Wednesday. I've already shared my thoughts on how terribly Major League Baseball and Nike do the rollouts for these Nike City Connect jerseys. Is there a more boring day of the week than Wednesday? I went over this in last episode, uh, number 69. Anyways, so after they debut them on the 20th of April, the Astros are going to wear the Space City uniforms every single Monday for the rest of the season. The uniform is a space theme since NASA's Mission Control Center is based in Houston, Texas. So you're asking yourself, what do these look like? Are the Astros coming out in Apollo 11 era uniforms and trying to play baseball in them? 
No, obviously not. Come on. <laughs> look it up on the internet or look it up on the internet and I'll also explain it to you. The jerseys and the pants are navy blue. The words Space City is written across the chest of the jersey in bold orange. And the A in space is the font like the net, like in NASA. Very, very cool. You got to check it out. I like it. And then there's piping down the front of the chest in an orange that transforms into yellow once it gets closer to the waist, to the, to the belt. On the left side of the sleeve is the flag of Texas. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. That has the four... <laughs> That has the four area codes of Houston, 713-346-281-832, all around the flag. Represent H-Town, right? I guess. I don't know. It, and the H on that flag replaces the Lone Star of the Texas flag state. And on top of the flag, it says Space City. And at the bottom of the flag, it says Houston, Texas. There's also orange piping around the bottom of both of the sleeves. And they both, again, the sleeves also have a subtle light blue grid-like pattern, which apparently is a tribute to the star charts used for space missions. Very cool. I love space. I love space. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really feeling this one. The back of the jersey has the player's name and number in orange with a yellow outline. And the navy blue pants have the player's number in orange on the right hip. The hat, the cap, whatever you want to call it, is in navy blue. The H for Houston is in white, and then there's a yellow ball orbiting the H in the blended orange and yellow color. I love the orbiting ball, which, of course, symbolizes the moons and the planets of the solar system orbiting around the sun or a, or a moon or moons, in the case of a planet like Jupiter, orbiting its planets. On the right side of the hat is the word Astros, also in that same NASA-style font. Anita Segal, who's the Houston Astros Senior Vice President of Communications and Marketing, said, quote, Our City Connect uniform links the past and the present, making the old new with a nod to our city's great history of space travel. The Astros retro elements with a forward thinking approach matches the constant pursuit of new opportunities and extraordinary wins that represent the great city of Houston, end quote. Nike. You haven't quite redeemed yourself from most of last year's stinkers, but this Houston Astros Space City jersey is a step in the right direction. And you know what? I like the classic 1968 Stanley Kubrick film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. It's an incredible film, especially how technologically advanced Kubrick's vision was because he showed the cycle of Homo sapiens on this small blue planet. He added hints of advanced civilizations visiting this earth. There was interplanetary travel, and there was also incredible technology that was 50 years ahead of its time with picture phone, which today we would just say, oh, let's FaceTime someone. If Kubrick had been a baseball fan, I'm thinking, would the then- Houston Colt 45's jersey been part of the in-flight entertainment for the film's astronauts? I don't know, because obviously the, the Houston Astros used to be the Houston Colt 45s. So you go from being named after a gun to be named after space. Look, I don't know if Kubiak would have included Houston Colts 45 jerseys or their games in the, as the astronauts go into deep space, but it's a must-see film. And if you watch 2001 Space Odyssey, 
watch it in the cinema. I did this about four years ago and it was absolutely beautiful. Honestly, that 43 inch flat screen TV that we have hanging in our living room does not do the film justice. All right, so back to the Astros. The only thing I would have improved on this jersey is to have the image of a visor of an astronaut or an eagle, which represents the Apollo program back in the 1960s, on the hat of the jersey or the sleeve, something subtle like that. I think that would have just added the little chef's kiss there. Nevertheless, great uniform. I really like it. Hats off to the Houston Astros and Nike for this specific Space City, Nike City Connect jersey. I want to thank Sean Anderson for joining us today. And I also want to thank a new listener from London, England. I'm going to be having Mother's Ruin later today. By the way, people, Mother's Ruin means gin. Thanks for listening to the podcast where we talk about baseball, drinks, local Chicago pizzerias, and everything else in the solar system. Share the podcast with your family and friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. My drink will be in the episode description. I'm also going to share a picture of what I drink on our social media accounts. Join me next time for a brand new episode of HVP, Hipster Baseball Podcast. Bye.